Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. So this is really fun, right, being here. It's really fun. Um, Yeah, we so appreciate having Jono and Tanya and others, Sam and Prue and Ella came and, um, and yeah, it was really cool in terms of the, um, the ministry time at the end. And there was a lady there who, we, we did Alpha very recently. So go the women's Alpha, <laughs> love Alpha, huge fans of Alpha. And we did it recently. And one of the ladies went through Alpha um, and this was the first Sunday that she'd come along to church. And she's kind of still exploring, you know, all things faithy. Um, and yeah, so ministry time was great and, and, you know, but it was ministry time, right? And this is the first time she'd been at, I think she had some sort of Catholic background, but had never been to a church like that. And so I walked up to her afterwards, kind of a little bit, how are you doing? And, and she's like, that was like standing in the surf. Um, and yeah, she was just like, I just felt waves of the Holy Spirit. And I, I don't even know, I don't know how she knew that was the Holy Spirit. She just seemed to know that that was the Holy Spirit. And um, she said, I've really got a lot to think about. <laughs> I was like, what just happened? Um, which was so good, right? So good. Um, doesn't happen every Sunday, but it happened that Sunday. Um, yeah, and just being with you guys then and just worshipping and just sensing the Lord's presence here I might do that I don't know if you know the history of the vineyard um, burnt out Christians basically exhausted who gathered in a room and all they could do was worship Jesus they just knew I still love Jesus so I can do that I can worship Jesus I think I can still do that um, and so they did that bless you Mark Jones Mark, Mark and I have some history, but we're okay now. Um, no, no, it's, no, sorry. We did a podcast together, and it was, it was, it was it's been a very emotional journey. Um, anyway, we're good. I'm gonna, this is not a show, but um, it's very nice to see Mark. Um, yes, and so, they, so they, they, they just gathered in a room together, apparently, and just, just pursued Jesus. And then the thing spun out of there into a, um, a church planning and evangelism movement, right? That is still... So that's my encouragement. That was just the sense. It's like, what you guys are doing here um, is awesome and it matters. And it's like, this is... I know you got the center point thing. And I, I think the picture that I had was sort of like of the fire, right? Like the campfire, right? Never gathering around that fire. If that fire stays hot... Like, I'm not saying the attractional mission model. I'm not trying to make commentary on that. But just that fire stays hot. That's what matters. That fire cools down. It doesn't matter how big the crowd is, right? It just, people dissipate, right? But if the fire is hot, I kind of feel like that's the job done, like, in a lot of ways. So be, just be encouraged. So just, like, this is cool. What God is doing here is cool. So, um, so I feel more blessed. I feel like you guys have ministered to me, so I go home, but um, I've been invited to do something. So have you guys got... 
have you guys got a, a Bible with you, or do you do that anymore? We no, we don't read the Bible, ma'am. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, so, Jono, Jono did, still feel, I listened to it this week while I was mowing Jono, so even it was good, and it was, um, you did one and two, and now we're doing three, right? And Jono checked your homework last week, so I'm going to do it again, like a good teacher, right? Follow it up. Now, did any, everyone read Ephesians last week? Good. Glad we've had that conversation. Um, moving on. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to read through chapter three. And don't worry, I won't preach the whole way through it because I do over talk. So <clears throat> we're going to keep to time. I do. So does he. Um, all right. So I'm reading for the NLT, guys. So this... Kind of breaks down a little easier. I think John I was working for the NIV last time, but Ephesians 3. I'm going to read the whole slab. Um, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to the Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by His Spirit, He's revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. And I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, has had kept secret from the beginning. And God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, this was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Uh, so just a little commentary. I'm not going to, this is not part of the talk, but just I was, I was reading this this week. Because there's this whole thing, right? The church is going to display God's wisdom to the unseen rules and authorities in the heavenly places. Yeah. Right? That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> what is that, right? What is going on there? And then I was like, well, how does that happen, right? And what's interesting is that it's in verse 12. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now boldly and confidently go into God's presence. So when we boldly and confidently go into God's presence, that's how the church actually declares God's manifold wisdom to the unseen rulers and powers. So what we just did then, we just declared to the unseen rulers and powers who God is, that we are redeemed, and that his plan is being worked out. That's our declaration when we worship. Does that make sense? So every time you do it, it doesn't matter if you're on Sunday or whatever, but when we do that, when we boldly go in, when we say no to condemnation, no to da-da-da-da, and we just boldly step in, we're actually making a declaration in the heavenly realms. And that was actually part of the... The, the purpose of God to, you know, to reset the order to down the powers and to up the cross, right? Like, so, like, that's the way he does it. He does it through our simple devotion and giving of ourselves confidently into his presence. 
Okay, good. Um, so because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel honored. Now, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited riches, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so there are some really good Christian bumper stickers in there, aren't there? It's just awesome. It's a bit of a fave. So I work, I work from home some of the time. Hands up if you work from home. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or you don't work from home. That's another confession. You can talk to John about that. But um, um, so, yeah, you, so you work from home. I, and one of the things I do to stay sane while I work from home is listen to music. My wife hates working with music. I guess I have mild um, attention deficit, so I just <laughs> I need music or something. And uh, I employ Spotify to that end. And so last week I was like, ah, I need some music, need some music. I found the music for a workday playlist. Perfect, right? Hey, who doesn't want the music for a workday playlist? And, um, and so I put that on and it was mainly harmless and mildly uplifting. Um, had some 80s classics, so I just, you know, given my age, I entered into those with um, humming and singing. And, uh, and then this, 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 this new song comes on, right? And it's, it's kind of got this, it's nice beats. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of mellow, like cafe sort of track. And I'm like, this sounds nice, you know? And I'm just working away. And then I start listening to the lyrics. And this is how the song goes. Crowded bar, corner booth. It's getting hard not to look at you because there you are across the room, a work of art that I'm going to lose. I know that you want me for your story that you tell yourself. I know I look lonely and I sound crazy, but I'm doing well because I'm just falling in love with myself tonight. I'm not scared of being alone with my hell of a mind. No, I'm not trying to be rude. I love everything about you, but I'm just falling in love with myself tonight, if that's all right. Ooh. Okay. So, we're... we're we're reading Ephesians 3, and we, and we just read what is probably one of the most you know, magisterial prayers in Scripture, basically. And this prayer, this chapter, if you, if you read that chapter well, and you pray that well into you, like that could actually change the very ground of your being. Like there's enough in there. I mean, seriously, right? Like if you actually sat in that and worked that well into your heart, that could fundamentally transform you. And has for, obviously, millennia fundamentally transformed the heart of the church, right? So it's all there, right? But what I want to say to you just this morning briefly is that that will depend um, quite a bit on whether you do the work of listening by letting the text speak for itself or by imposing particular meanings about particular words onto the text, particularly the word love. Because if you were listening, now Dylan Dunlap Run, ran, uh, wrote that song. Now, if you were reading Dylan's song, 
listening to Dylan's song. How would you, from the base of that, define love? Like if you were just listening to, hey, I'm just looking up Dylan, I don't get love. Dylan, tell me what love is. Uh, just on the base of what Dylan's said there, how would you understand love? To love myself completely before I can love others. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, so, yep, that's right. So he's gone with that. But how, if, if you said, like, love is this, how would you complete that sentence if you were just using Dylan as your guide? Love is... Don't be shy now. It's... Love is love is selfish. <laughs> selfish. It, it, it's well, you guys are nearer to the sea than Hornsby, so I get that. Um, yeah, yep. Love is selfish. Yep. Yeah. Conditional. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Kind of absorbing. That's a good word. That's a great word. Love is absorbing. Yeah. Hmm. So here's, we, I think we could say, yeah, I think those things, I had like love is attraction maybe. Maybe love is attention or focus. Like it, and that's that, similar to that absorbing. There's this really intent focus. Um, maybe, maybe even, and try this out, um, maybe even I love you means you make me feel great. Yeah. Would that be a fair definition? There's more. I'm not saying that's the, but you make me feel great. So that's what I'm saying to my wife. You make me feel great. And, it, and when she stops doing that, I cut. That's what I say to God. You make me feel great. And when you stop, I cut. Maybe. Okay, so let's try. If we put my definition of love into this prayer, let's see how it sounds. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in you, make me feel great may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the you make me feel great of Christ and to know this you make me feel great that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's, there's a resounding clunk isn't there. Now, if you, if you think about like I am calling out the culture on its definition of love and I, I think the thing that struck me when I listened to that song was like that's actually unearthing probably what's going on. That's not a bad weather vane for what love is being morphed into culturally. Um, and, and, you know, you, could, you, you say, hey, Andrew, just go a bit easier. Like, that does sound shallow and me-centric. But have you been around a church recently? And have you thought about the implications of what they do at churches of this God who seems in deep need of having people come into rooms and sing to him? Talk about self-centered and make them believe this archaic book or something. Like, talk about, like, write another one or something or get creative. Or, like, <laughs> what is your problem? Why are you set on that track? Like, you know, that's, that's a fair charge, right? It can really, God can, at a level, we can have that suspicion in our heart. It's like, is God just kind of narcissistic? And I think if we carry in our definition of, like, you make me feel great into... God's as being the central, the central organizing agenda of God, then you go, yeah, God is kind of weird, right? That's what he means by love. He says, all of you need to make me feel great. Um, that's not very compelling, is it? 
Um, so I think, and, I'm, and, there's, and I know there's a big conversation there which I've just popped the lid on and I'm not gonna go any further on, but, um, but fundamentally, I think we need to interrogate the lens that we're using um, when we hear the word love and when we read the word love in this text um, and then think a little bit how, about how the culture may, how we may have imported some of those definitions of the culture into how we think about love and how that might be a little unhelpful. Um, so, not long ago, Matt knows this, I bought these cool purple sunglasses. Um, and uh, I consider them very cool. And uh, so cool that I like trail running. And so I went for a trail run on Wednesday and I was like, I'm gonna wear my cool sunglasses. And uh, so I started on my trail run and the trail run was going through this uh, kind, of, kind of very rocky terrain with shadow, like dappled, right? dappled shadow, bright sunshine. And the bright sunshine was fantastic, but in the dappled shadow, not so great. And it was warm, right? So I'm thinking snakes. Um, and I, I tried for a kilometer because I felt cool and they felt cool. And, and I was like, I have to come to terms with this. I have to take these glasses off because they're just, they're actually a public health risk <laughs> at this point. Um, so I removed my glasses. And then once I'd removed my glasses, I was actually able to navigate the terrain with confidence. Do you see what I'm saying? That's a preaching analogy, isn't it? So we have to courageously go, okay, God, I'm going to take the risk of just downing these things, of downing the you make me feel good glasses on love and perhaps just taking a few steps down the ladder and going, God, well, how do, you, how do you define love then? If this thing's been so garbled and warped that I can't actually read your words straight, would you teach me again what love is? There's a great 80s song about that, isn't there? I want to know. <laughs> it's, it goes like that, doesn't it? Okay, so I've got two non-80s words to help you understand what love is in accordance to the scripture. The first word is kenosis. Come on, hands up for kenosis, right? Great word, right? Um, so kenosis is a Greek word. I, do I know any Greek? No, I know kenosis. Does that count? Um, so kenosis means self-emptying. Great word. It's one of those words in the Bible used to describe God and how he goes about doing things. He self-empties. And the other word is cruciform. Anyone know what cruciform means? Cruciform means like the, like the crucifixion. It's like, like the cross. So God's love is kenotic and cruciform. I'm just throwing those words in because they're, 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 they're words to kind of go, oh, maybe, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and so just, you don't have to necessarily embrace them, but just let new words come into your understanding of how God defines love. So to understand what, so, so to understand what, what love means, we need to first look at God, right? And to understand who God is, we look at how God has revealed himself. And a great place to, to focus on is that is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus when we really want to understand who God is. Because, of course, the Scripture tells us that, right, Jesus is the, the visible of the invisible, right? When we look at Jesus, we see the invisible God. As crazy as that is, as batty as that is, that's what Scripture asserts. That when you look at Jesus, you see the invisible God. And so when we look at the life of God revealed in Jesus, we see a Trinitarian God at work, right? We see God, Father, Son, and Spirit at work. And a great place to start there is the baptism of Jesus, right? Where Jesus is there, the Spirit comes down, the Father's like, I love my boy! That's the three doing their thing. And that dynamic just continues on right through, doesn't it? 
but we get a, little, a wonderful little picture at the baptism, and we get a wonderful picture at the cross of that Trinitarian dynamic as well. Um, so, and, and John, writing to, his, writing to the early church, knew that their understanding of love was all warped. So he's like, I'm going to have to help you out. Okay, I'm going to spell it out really simple, <laughs> simple-like. He said, you know, in John 1, 3, 16, not J- John 3, 16, but sorry, 1 John 3, 16, he says, this is how we know what love is. So clearly we have a love problem. Clearly we don't get it, what it actually is. But he says, this is how we know what it is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Wondering what love is? That's what it is. Love is not, you make me feel great. I don't think anyone was making Jesus feel great at that time. <laughs> but, that, but he was quite the opposite, right? I mean, anyway, I'm not going to go into that. But if you think about the crucifixion, that was very much not a you make me feel great moment. Quite the opposite. And... Um, and yet that was actually where, where, to John, love was most fully revealed. It was in exactly the opposite of the you make me feel great moment that love was most clearly revealed. Is that not true of our relationships? We know that, right? We know that that's actually when love is revealed, right? It's when little Johnny is just not making me feel good. But I will get up and I will feed little Johnny and I will, you know, like, that's the moment, right? That's what love looks like. It's cruciform. It looks like sacrifice. It looks like laying down our lives for the sake of another. That's simply the shape of love. And it's most clearly revealed in the work of Jesus. But that is, that is the ultimate shape of love. There is no other shape of love. That's just what it is. So Dylan is well, well, well off the reservation when he asserts that it's you make me feel good. And Dylan will be sorely, sorely disappointed if he pursues that definition of love. Because as Tim Keller says, all other definitions will ultimately, will, will at the end be dashed on the rocks of ultimate reality. If you pursue that, you make me feel good. Ultimately, it will all come unstuck in the end. Love just is what it is, and it has been defined by the God who created it and who is it. Yeah. So... Paul, yeah, <laughs> and then Paul, um, Paul, yeah, and then he, Paul goes on. Philippians 2 is the one I commend to you, but I won't spend any time in there because I know we're, we're running low on juice. But Philippians 2 in that, you know, that hymn in Philippians 2 about Jesus, who, though being in very nature God, emptied it. There's, there's the kenosis word. So we read from that that um, love is I humble myself to be your servant. In obedience to my Father, it costs, and I continue to love despite the cost, trusting in my Father's care. That's what love is. So I humble myself. I make myself the servant of you. It costs me. I continue to love, trusting my Father's care. Um, so when we look at this passage, when you, and when you read that prayer again in Ephesians, right, it lights up when you understand that that's what love is. And you've got to think about just how different that is from our culture's definition of love, right? You go, wow, what have we been fed? Have you tasted that love? Have you tasted what love actually is? And have you, have you tasted that in community? Someone say, yep, it sounded like they said, yep, which is amazing. Um, uh, 
you know, someone said, I, I love this. I heard this last week. They said, um, you know, Christian formation is about locating the me button and turning it off. That's not mine. But there's nothing new in here. It's all fair. It's, it's open source, right? So it's just, it's all good. Christian formation is about locating the me button and turning it off. And I, I had, a, I had a, an ex, you know, this, um, when I was very selfish and, <laughs> and 20, um, I went to Hong Kong for a year and, and, and lived in an immersive Christian community. Um, and it completely changed my life um, because of how an, exp- well, an initial experience. I, I remember turning up in the um, little, little apartment, poorest part of Hong Kong, and turning up first meal there and someone came up to me and said would you like a drink yeah I'd love a drink actually thank you and um, I remember going the the next night into the same living room we're having you know we had shared meals all the time and I went to the kitchen again oh damn I'm gonna have to go and ask everyone if they want a drink that sucks I really liked it how it was the other way and I really don't like it but it was that was my initial bump with with love as a servant and it, it grated me like hell and I loved it when I was being served and, and then something over those, over those 12 months changed in me until I was ruined for Christian community. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is, this is what this looks like and the, and the culture that I have grown up in, I've never experienced anything like this and I want to leave, right? So that's the kingdom, right? That's, and that's how the kingdom manifests itself. And so in terms of, in terms of what Jono was talking about, about body and temple and, and the church being the body and temple, the only way that the church can be body and temple is when it puts on love like this. That's the only way. So falling in love with myself does not produce a community or family that worships the living God. Bless you. Falling in love with myself does not produce the character that humbly empties oneself and prefers the other, such that the other is welcomed and celebrated and unity is found, right? Falling in love with myself just doesn't do that. It's a very different love. And Paul's, Paul knows that when this love found in Christ is actually experienced, impossible things happen. Paul's no, Paul knows that when we experience this love, we're actually transformed to become like this love. How do we know that Paul knows that? Because that's what his experience was, right? Because the key to this whole chapter, so if you go back with your read, the, the, I think the key, the interpretive key for this whole chapter is found in verse 1. I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. That's the interpretive key. Paul has experienced the cruciform, canonic, self-emptying love of God has been transformed by it. And then he's become a servant and he's saying, I'm doing this all for the sake of others. So God has poured himself into Paul and as Paul's gone, he's been transformed by it. And he's like, I want to pour myself out too. <laughs> I'll pour out and I'll pour out and I'll become a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. And, and for your sake, it's all for your sake. Isn't that awesome? So John O and Tanya, they're not doing it for me. They've been radically <laughs> by the Holy Spirit and they're like, I'll just give it away. I give it away because they know they'll be filled. And that's what we pray every Sunday, right? The filling of the Holy Spirit to go again and give again and give again. Okay, so, um, so, that's, so that's just we live in this love and we mirror it out to the world, right? And we give it away.
You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delahart. So we sing out.